0: Second Chronicles 7. All right. Would you pray with me, please, oh, before we look into the Word? Father, you are a good God. You're an amazing God, and I thank you for just the two testimonies that were shared and Father, uh, your amazing grace that reached into this young boy's life um, and drew him to yourself uh, just on the doorstep to eternity. Uh, Father, thank you for your work in Vicky's life and, and the providing of a job and, and just the way you're just opening her eyes to you and your goodness and grace in her life. Father, as we look into your word this morning, uh, uh, please open our eyes to see and respond as you would have each one of us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. In 1857 was a few years ago. Churches in the United States were sliding downhill. Thousands of Americans were disillusioned with Christianity. William Miller, a New England farmer, had captured nationwide attention with his prediction that Christ would return on October 22, 1844. And when nothing happened, in case you hadn't figured out, Christ didn't come back yet. Okay? <laughs> um, when nothing happened, many people abandoned their faith, fed up with Christianity. And then, in September, on September 23rd, 1857, a young man by the name of, a businessman by the name of Jeremiah Lanfear, Started a noon prayer meeting in New York City for businessmen. Six people came to the first prayer meeting on the third floor of the consistory, and I had to look up what that was it's the church office building of the old Dutch Reformed church uh, old Dutch Reformed church on Fulton Street. Six people showed up by spring, that was in September by spring. In New York City, daily prayer meetings were springing up in so many locations that daily attendance had grown in New York City to 10,000. America's greatest spiritual awakening was underway. And here's just a few examples what came out of that. It was called the Layman's Prayer Revival because... Laymen let it, businessmen like Jeremiah Lanphier. During the layman's prayer revival, the owner of a hardware store in New York urged businessmen at the Fulton Street prayer meeting to always set a holy example. A well-known manufacturer who was at the meeting prayer meeting followed him to his store and confessed that he had cheated him for several years and wanted to pay back. When the news spread that there were daily prayer meetings where sinners were welcomed, prayed for, and encouraged to turn to Christ, some hardened criminals were saved. A notorious criminal named Awful Gardener surprised everyone when he found Christ through the prayer meetings. And he was not alone. Hundreds of people who usually spent their nights, and the quote says, at the gates of hell, came to prayer meetings instead that began in the evenings. Wealthy people generously helped the poor whom they regarded as their brothers and sisters. Ships coming into New York Harbor came under the power of God's presence. On one ship, a captain and 30 men were converted to Christ before the ship docked. Four sailors knelt for prayer down in the depths of the battleship North Carolina Anchored in the harbor, they began to sing, and their ungodly shipmates came running down to make fun of them. But the power of God gripped them, and they humbly knelt in repentance. And it goes on and on. Uh, it, It spread throughout the United States of America. In March of 1858, a religious journalist wrote that the large cities and towns from Maine to California are sharing in this great and glorious work. There is hardly a village or town in the United States where a special divine power does not appear displayed. 2,000 gathered in Chicago, 4,000 in Philadelphia, and on and on and on. Um, I'll just kind of finish up here. It says, it talks in... Um, March of 1858, the voice of prayer and praise to God was heard beginning at 8.30 every morning in the hall of the New York State Capitol. That probably wouldn't be allowed today. Six people began that prayer meeting, and by the fifth day, over 1,000 people were meeting in the New York State Capitol for prayer. One writer exclaimed, the Spirit of God seems to be brooding over our city. And have produced an unusual degree of tenderness and solemnity among all classes. And it started, remember how it started? With a businessman putting up a sign in New York City that there would be a noonday prayer meeting. Six people showed up, and a country was changed. The most powerful awakening that has come to the United States of America. As people prayed, just people got together and prayed. That's the simplicity of it that we're going to look at this morning. It reminds me, as I was growing up, I grew up in Manchester, Washington, not too far from here. Um, there was a billboard on the corner of Manchester State Highway and Alaska Street. We lived down Alaska Street. And for years it was there, and the billboard simply said this it said the family who prays together stays together any of you seen that that billboard was there for years and and after reading this account of the layman's prayer revival i think we could also say the people who pray together or the church who pray together is transformed together I mean, that's what we saw in that account of the layman's prayer revival. Just thinking about that, I want you to just listen to this. these verses. It's, it's similar in Acts chapter 4, starting at verse 23. And you can follow if you'd like. We're going to come back to Second Chronicles. But in Acts 4.23, um, the apostles, uh, Peter and James, uh, they were released from prison, or Peter and John, When they had been released, it says, They went up to their own companions, meaning the other apostles and believers. They reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted up their voices to God with one accord. And that's a fancy way of saying that they prayed together. They lifted up their voices with one accord and said, O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the elders were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And now... Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may spread your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own. But all things were common property to them. And with great power the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them. As they prayed together. Isn't it amazing when people pray together, what can happen? Here in the book of Acts, there was a powerful demonstration of the miraculous, a new boldness in sharing the gospel, and a, and a fresh, deep, caring, sacrificial caring for one another in a way that no one considered what was theirs was theirs, but it was everyone's together as a community, care for one another, as people prayed together. How do we become such a praying people? That's what we're going to, as we kind of finish up these few weeks on prayer, that's the question I want us to kind of ponder together this afternoon. How can we be such a praying people? What is praying like this, being a praying people like this, what does it look like? And so, if you turn to Acts, you can turn back to Second Chronicles, and we're going to just talk through this section, starting at chapter 5, I'm just going to kind of summarize the setting, and then we're going to look at a really common verse, probably for some of us, but as I spent hours myself just looking at this section, chapters 5, 6, and 7, and then particularly pondering a very simple verse that I've probably heard read dozens and dozens and dozens of times. Um, God just afresh encouraged me to pray, and and I trust that that will be the result of our time this morning, that in a fresh way it will stir us, not only as individuals, but especially as a community, to pray um, so that we would see God do what he did back in 1857, 1858, in New York City and across the country, as people simply prayed. We've become a complex people, haven't we? And we've got so many choices and we have so many we're so talented, we're so skilled, we've got so many resources, that so often we forget the power simply to together pray. And I hope that'll be something that encourages us this morning. In 2 Chronicles chapter 5, as we come to the setting uh, that we're going to end up at 7.14, we see that Solomon has been, he's the new king of Israel. And in, in chapter 5, verses 1 through 14, um, he's dedicating the new temple. What David wanted to construct, God said, Solomon, your son's going to do. And, and now the temple, the place where God's presence is among his people back in the Old Testament has been erected, and, and it's a beautiful scene as you read through it. I mean, they, they, they sacrifice, it says, more animals than can be counted. I mean, they're just so excited about the temple being constructed, God's presence being among his people, that they, just, they, they sacrifice thousands and thousands of these burnt offerings and sin offerings and thank offerings to God for his presence being among them. They uh, they have a choir. We come down to verses eleven through fourteen, and there's this choir that just of of Levites that that are singing out God's praises. Oh, the Lord is good; His loving kindness is everlasting. It's a theme that runs through chapters five, six, and seven. That's repeated regularly. The Lord is good, and His loving kindness is everlasting. And and they're singing it here. And as as we come to the end of chapter five, it says. Um, he is good, he, for his loving kindness everlasting. It says, Then the house, the house of the Lord, the end of verse thirteen, was filled with a cloud, so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. And that's that's the setting here. God's God is just pleased and He just pours out his presence where the priest can't even continue to offer sacrifices. The the singing stops as God God's glory just falls upon the temple. So we come to ver- chapter six and verse one, and Solomon then prays to the Lord in, in chapter six, one through forty-two. He starts in, in in the first few verses. We can see it in verse four. He says. By blessing the Lord for his goodness and his faithfulness. He says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who spoke with his mouth to my father David and has fulfilled it with his hands by the construction of this temple taking place. So he starts out by blessing the Lord for his faithfulness. And then in verses 19 through 21, if you want to just flip down there, chapter 6, 19 through 21, as the temple has been dedicated and they've and they blessed the Lord for his faithfulness, Solomon begins to pray that the Lord would be responsive to the prayers of his people. He says, yet have regard. When he starts out, well, let, well, let me start at 18. He says, will God indeed dwell with mankind on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heavens cannot contain you how much less this house which I have built. Solomon isn't deluded to think that somehow God is in this box. God God is great. God is the heavens, the highest heavens can't contain him. He's God. He's the creator. But he says, yet, verse 19, have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his supplications. O Lord, my God, listen to the cry and to the prayer which your servant prays before you that your eye may be open toward this house day and night, toward the place of which you have said that you would put your name there, to listen to the prayer which your servant shall pray toward this place. Listen to the supplications of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place, hear from your dwelling place from heaven, hear and forgive. And then in verses 22 through 39, if, if we were to read through them, we see that Solomon lists seven scenarios that he's asking God to respond to because Solomon knows. <laughs> he knows his own heart. He knows the heart of the people. of it. He knows how fickle they are, how faithless they are. He knew the stories about how they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because of their unbelief and their unfaithfulness. And so Solomon, just to make sure he... he he lists seven scenarios. He says, "Well, Lord, if somebody sins in this way, or if if your people are defeated by an enemy, or if they sin and so you give a you bring a famine into the land, or 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 if there's a foreigner who isn't even from Israel, or Father God, Lord, listen." As we come back and we realize our sin, we realize our unfaithfulness, we realize what has happened, and we, we come again to your holy temple and we say, Hear and forgive, Lord, hear and forgive. And after Solomon prays that, we come to chapter 7 and the Lord's response to Solomon's requests for God to hear and forgive. In verses 12 through 14 of chapter 7, I'm going to read chapter 7, verses 12 through 14, and then we're just going to focus on 14. We see the Lord's response. The Lord appeared to Solomon at night, chapter 7, verse 12, and said to him, I have heard your prayer, and I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. If I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people. He says, it doesn't matter what your people do, and, and, and what I do as a result of their sin. Verse 14, God says, if my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves, and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. It's it's really a simple promise. We're going to look at it just simply. And as we look at it, I, I what I'm asking us to do this morning as we just go through this phrase by phrase simply is that you would in your heart determined that you would be this person and that together we would be these people. If my people who are called by my name... The caveat at the beginning of the Lord's response is is that this prayer is for his people. Okay? Kind of like if... I have an extra $100,000 laying around and... um, the neighborhood kid comes over and asks for it, it's not available to him. It's going to be available to Daniel if he asks. Don't ask. <laughs> <laughs> it's this prayer and this, the, the ones that the Lord responds to are his people. That's the first thing. You've got to ask yourself, am, am I one of his who are called by my my name, meaning they identify themselves as his people, people who desire to reflect his character and his glory. That's what name refers to. It refers to who God is, his character and his glory. Are you such a person who says, yeah, that's me. That's me. I desire to live for God's glory. I desire to reflect his character. I'm one of his one of his kids. And so if you are, God says, if you're one of his people, the first step in coming to him in prayer is what? Humble ourselves. And literally what it means is, it it means bend the knee. And for a lot of us, that's the hardest thing to do, isn't it? (laughs) Bend the knee. When we come before God that we we humble ourselves, we empty ourselves of us being able to do it, us being able to provide, us being having the wisdom, us having the resources, where we come before God and, and we say, it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. I, I love it as we look at the prophets, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, And and, uh, when they come and they bring God's people before him, uh, just as an example, listen to Daniel here. Daniel chapter 9. As Daniel, who is called a man in in whom the Spirit of God dwells. um, He's a man of God. (laughs) But this is how he prays. Listen. Daniel chapter 9, verse 4, he says, I prayed to the Lord my God, confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. Moreover, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets. And he goes on and on. And let me tell you, that's not Daniel. I mean, Daniel is a godly man who didn't rebel, who didn't disobey, who whose whole life from the beginning of Daniel chapter 1 has been setting his heart to wholly obey the Lord. But Daniel is a man who can pray this prayer because Daniel is a man who's humbled before God and knows his own heart. And knows that it's God, it's not him. And so as he comes before God, he comes humbly and just saying, God, it's not them. God, deal with them. But God, help us. God, it's me, it's me, it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. If my people who are called by my name will, first of all, humble themselves, empty themselves of any notion that they themselves can do anything apart from God humble themselves and pray and and the word prayer is just it's the word for supplication It just means that we come to God impede of ourselves and we say help help um in second chronicles chapter 20 man i I think it's one of the the best illustrations of this in the life of jehoshaphat one of the kings of um, judah He's faced by this massive army that's coming against him. and this is his prayer in Second 2 Chronicles 2012. He says, "O Lord, our God, will you not judge them? For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you." And that's great. That that captures Second Chronicles seven four. He says, We are powerless, we we cannot do it ourselves. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That's prayer. And as we come to Second Chronicles seven, that's what he says, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. And literally I means seek God's presence, God's favor, literally to search out and strive for it. Knowing that apart from it, like Jehoshaphat, the, sit, the setting before us is impossible, and, and if God doesn't act, then we're in trouble. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face wholeheartedly, seek for my favor and turn from their wicked ways. Turn from their wicked ways. I think uh, we all know that's probably one of the hardest things that, that keeps us from, from hearing God and from God hearing us. As it says in Isaiah 59, it says, the, Lord, the Lord's arm isn't so short that He can't save. His ear isn't dull that He can't hear. But your sins have separated you <laughs> from your God so that he can't hear. In Psalm sixty-eight, eighteen, it says, If I regard sin in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And so it's my people who humble themselves, who pray, who, who seek favor from me as they turn from their wicked ways. We can't seek God's favor <laughs> and be doing things our own way. We seek God's favor as we humble ourselves before him. We empty ourselves of any notion that we can do anything and say, God, I am yours, and I am yours completely. God, take me, cleanse me, forgive me. The word in the New Testament is repentance. And literally, it means to change your mind. And it means when we come to God in prayer, we need to come with repentant hearts. We need to come with hearts and say, God, whatever you want, whatever you want me to do, what, whatever you tell me to do, because God is a holy God. And if we're coming to his presence and, and seek his favor, it's going to be because we come before him saying, cleanse me. That's the if. It's conditional. If if my people who are called by my name will Humble themselves, pray, seek my presence, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Then, and this is a guarantee, this is a guarantee. It's an if, then, God says, I will hear from heaven. I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins. I will heal their land. And in 1 John 1, 9, I think it captures those last two together where it says if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just or righteous to first of all do what? Forgive us our sins. And then number two, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. I will their land. In Luke 19.10, it says, the Son of Man came to seek, speaking about Jesus, came to seek and to save, and we've talked about this before, the word is sozo, that which was lost. That which was lost because of sin, that which was lost because of our rebelliousness, that's what was lost because of the lies we've lived. What we've lost Jesus came to restore, to deliver, to heal, to forgive. That's the word sozo, save in Luke 19:10 and and that's what God is declaring in 2nd Chronicles 7:14. If we come before him humbled, seeking his face, turning from our sins, he will listen, forgive and heal. Restore, deliver, save, set free, heal. What I want us to see is we just kind of wrap it up here is three things about what such praying looks like. And this is what's really kind of stunned me again is this number one, the simplicity of this praying. And I think sometimes that that, what's hard for us is because we think because we have this notion I think often of that we have to, you know, kinda like we have to pay our way to heaven, that we have to somehow prove to God something, or we have to do something, we have to win some kind of a merit, or we have to, you know, crawl on our knees from here to the you know, to our car afterwards and then God knows that we are serious. This is simple. If then If we humble ourselves before him, we pray, we seek his favor and turn from our sin, then he will hear, he will forgive, he will heal. He will deliver, he will restore. And as as we're here this morning, we are all in need of one of those. (laughs) Deliverance, forgiveness, restoration, healing, Freedom. If. Then. It's simple. It's so simple. We don't have to, you don't have to buy a book that, that tells you the right words to say. You don't have to wonder if you're saying the right words. If you're in the right posture. It just says, if. Then. The second thing is, not only is it simple, but it's sure. If my people who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then it's sure I will hear, I will forgive, I will heal. It's sure. It's a promise that he makes and it's based on his character like I said, and if you go back and read chapters 5, 6, and 7, at least one time in each one of those chapters, it, there's a declaration of his character. The Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. His character and his promise backs up what 2 Corinthians seven fourteen says. But the last thing is, and we didn't read it yet, but I'd like to, in 2 Chronicles 7... The last thing is that this is also very sobering. It's simple, it's sure, but it's also very sobering. If you're in Second Chronicles 7, look at verse 19. After God makes his promise, in verse 19 he says, but, but if you turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I have set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them, Then I will uproot you from my land, which I have given you. And this house, which I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight. And I will make it a proverb and a byword among all peoples. As for this house, which was exalted, everyone who passes by it will be astonished and say, What has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house? And they will say, Because they forsook the Lord the God of their fathers who brought them from the land of Egypt and they adopted other gods and worshiped them and served them. Therefore he has brought all this adversity on them. This is a sobering section also because it not only tells us simply and surely how we can be a transformed and healed and delivered and freed and forgiven people by believing what God says here, by humbling ourselves before him, by Slowing down. We're so busy. I mean, I, I know it would be absolutely astonishing if we were to raise our hands to how many of us this last week, one time during this last week, prayed for one hour. I'm guessing probably not very many hands would go up. And yet we have the resources of the God of the universe and a simple formula here. It's, and it's not a formula, it's a relationship. That if we humble ourselves before him and say, God, okay, I tried every which way to do it myself, I give up, I've screwed it up enough times and finally I've got it You know, through my thick head that I need you. We humble ourselves and we say, Help. God, I need help with this. God, I need help with this. And we seek His favor. And we say, God, whatever it means, I'm willing to do. Stopping this, turning from this. Then He says, What? I will hear. (laughs) I will forgive. It's an amazing God's forgiveness and then his healing. He doesn't hold grudges. He doesn't say, Well, okay, I forgive you, but but He just says, and I will heal. I will restore, I will deliver. But if we don't, well, we know the consequences, don't we? The soberness of the consequences in our lives, the bondage, the frustrations, the failures. Because we haven't yet humbled ourselves and prayed and sought His face, it 's so simple, it 's so sure, and that 's what God offers us to get not just individually but together. And so what do we do? Well, this is what we 're going to do, starting right now, into the into the service here. We're going to practice this, okay, for a few minutes. What I'd like you to do is um, just, you know, groups of three, four, five, something like that. It can be two. It can be six. We're not going to be legalistic about this, okay? <laughs> a small group could be the row in front of you, behind you. Just gather. And for two minutes at the most, this, is, this isn't this is a sharing time, okay? This is going to be a praying time. At the most, for two minutes, I just want you to say, I need help with this. That shouldn't take more than ten seconds, right? Please pray for this. And I'm not saying, and, and please, we're not talking about praying for your great-aunt, Isabella, who you haven't seen in ten years, okay? We're talking, just please, I need help for, could say, my temper. I need help. I need a job. I just, okay, just together for one minute, the few of you, two minutes, just say, I need help here. And when you're done, after if you're still talking after two minutes, I'm going to get a bat and I'm going to hit you on the head, okay? This isn't a sharing time. This is just briefly saying, please pray for this. And then for about eight to ten minutes, I want you to just pray for each other, okay? Pray for each other. The humbling part could be the first part. Please pray for this. That could be the humbling part. And then just say, you're just simply prayers. God, help God forgive, God deliver, God heal.